Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. Experiencing these extremes led me to being more balanced within myself, understanding the world from a very different place than I was accustomed to. So essentially what Relational Alchemist symbolizes for me is the ability to transmute and take a relationship from a place that's unhealthy or undesirable or that's not working and help that person create a healthier connection and relationship to that, that the nature of that relationship. Essentially, I help people help themselves. I just owned what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. I stepped into it and I just, and now I've found the expression of how that's presented to the world and for myself. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Stefanos Sifendos. I love to say his name. I'll do it one more time. Stefanos Sifendos. You can find him on on Instagram. (laughs) I'm cracking myself up. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Stefanos Sifendos. So, I wanted to have Steph on the show for so many reasons. First of all, he is a dear friend that has taught me so much about what being a man in a loving relationship really means. This podcast is all about fulfillment. And if your intimate relationships are not so good, you're not going to be so fulfilled. You are going to love where we went in this episode. Steph is a master at taking complicated concepts and making them super simple. Steph, welcome to the show. Rob, thank you so much for having me. You know what, man? I have been looking forward to this for some time, and here's why. First of all, you have the best voice in the business. Okay, that's <laughs> that's that's number one. Number two, you have a magic in that big Greek heart of yours that I have never felt by being in the presence of another male like you have. You light up the room and you have shared so many teachings with me to make my life better that I just had to have you on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply humbled, brother. <laughs> deeply humbled. Thank you. You're, You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so the show is going to have three parts. The first one is we're going to talk a little bit about the science of achievement, and we'll talk about ways that people can allow their lives to function a little bit better. Um, particularly, mm. maybe we can talk about men helping them go to the next level, and yeah. some ways that uh, maybe even women can understand men even even better. And then uh, we'll talk about fulfillment and the art of fulfillment and maybe some things that you do personally to add to your level of fulfillment in your life. And then we'll wrap with some rapid fire questions. Cool? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think a good place to start would be in the 80s in Australia. Can you... (laughs) 
Can you maybe describe some of the things you did, even with your parents, if you want, from, you know, let's say ages 10 to 15, we'll start there. That sort of typifies what it was like growing up there. And I don't want to put a damper on things. My, my childhood, my upbringing wasn't exactly the, the greatest per se. It was, it was definitely scattered with some, some beautiful memories, that's for sure, of my grandparents and even, even with my parents as well. But for the large part, I grew up in a, in a volatile environment, emotionally abusive and physically abusive as well. And so I don't say that to cause the listener or yourself, of course, to feel depression within you, but rather to exemplify a point that our, our greatest voids become our greatest values. And mm. so for me, having felt a great deal of isolation and, and fear in life as well, really, really feeling isolated, really feeling repressed, really not feeling understood, I unconsciously initially sought that in my life, sought for connection, sought for what does it mean to feel full, to feel happy, to feel safe, like to feel open in my expression. And so it was, is, not was, is continuous, of course, an amazing journey of uncovering the layers of self that we that we tend to repress at a very young age, uh, especially if we've grown up or if we've been exposed to an environment that hasn't been safe or hasn't been conducive entirely to our health. Now, as I said at the beginning, it, it, I had an amazing experience as a, as a child as well, learning about myself and finding myself and carrying an infinite curiosity. And at the same time, that curiosity was really suppressed. And so now as an adult, and I get to be as, as a, the healthiest adult I've ever been, the healthiest version of myself I've ever been because of some deep work that I've done. And we'll get into this later in terms of some of those masculine practices or those, those humanistic practices that we can engage in, those rituals that we can engage in on a, on a regular basis that can really enhance our being and enhance the way we look at ourselves and the world as well. <laughs> well, yeah. let's fast forward a little bit to high school. What were the steps that sort of led you to volunteering at uh, Bremer Presbyterian, which was an organization that uh, helped people with dementia? That's not a typical high school job. Why did you choose that? I, I love how you mentioned that. that. That were really fond memories, man, for me, really fond memories. And the short answer is I loved, I was so close with my grandparents, right? So close. And so, so that growing up, that environment, that really caused me to be really close. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and, and just absolutely adored them. And they were like my parents as well in many, in many respects. And, and so working with elderly people, because Presbyterian Homes, that's what it was. It was, a, it, was a, it was actually an institution for elderly people with Alzheimer's and dementia and that were losing their mental faculties or the use of their mental faculties. And it just intrigued me, man. It just, it just, it allowed me to see life from such a different perspective, like really, really such a different perspective. And it was the most, one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. There was, there was always something there though, like even beyond the veil of them not appearing to have like coherence and, and cohesive consciousness, there was still something there. They knew what was going on. And just to experience that and be in that and be in this joy, being the joy of literally every minute was like something exciting for them. You know, really fed that curiosity that was suppressing me as a child as well. And it gave me context into the world, man. It gave me um, insight into the human mind, into the human condition. And it also gave me gratitude. Like it gave me deeper, and, that, and that, you know, gratitude and appreciation. Well, we, you know, we've spoken about this. How important is is it to carry that into your day to be a successful human being? Like without gratitude, success does not exist. Full stop. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so true. What, during that time, though, what did you think that you wanted to be? Let's say in high school, did you have any aspirations for something that you wanted to move towards? Yeah, I think it lies. It's actually, this was sort of from when I was a very young, so when I was, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven or eight, my memory's not a little bit, little bit scattered from a, from a young person, but from, from six, seven, eight years old, and I took that into my high school years, I wanted to be the Secretary General of the United Nations. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so interesting. Why? Because 
I, as I said, I was very curious when I was younger. And my mother, my mother did actually a really good job of satisfying, well, not satisfying, but at least entertaining my curiosity. And I think, you know, sometimes curiosity can never really be satisfied, especially when you're so, so open to the world. But the reason was because I observed all this suffering and poverty and I was asking, why, why are people dying? Why are people suffering? Why do people have diseases? You know, why, why do we suffer here at home sometimes? Like, why, does this ha- why does sadness happen? Why does this happen? And I was watching this at a collective level because, you know, back then, I mean, even now, my parents were watching so much of the news, you're sort of exposed to that. I, I choose not to watch the news now, but, I mean, back then it was like it's always sort of all you ever saw and it's, you know, 85 90%, 95% of it is 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 turmoil and doom and gloom. And and so I was asking these big questions and obviously being exposed to the world, I, I saw the United Nations and okay, like I was a little bit naive obviously, but as I as I grew older and understood geopolitically and socioeconomically what they were about, that changed. But I was just adamant on if I could be United Nations Secretary General I can help the world. I can stop suffering. I can create greater equilibrium and balance. And that wasn't the exact terminology I was using back then, but I was, you know, it was, it was, it was all about creating balance and harmony in the world and peace. So interesting to me because you were such an empathetic guy, but this empathy you've had, this theme sort of runs through your life from like, you know, wanting to be the secretary general of the UN. And it even continued for you after university where. You were a caretaker at St. Patrick's Men's Shelter. Can you tell me the story of of why you felt called to do that? Yeah, and that was a that was a really beautiful time too, Rob. And that was a that was a very that was a sad time as well, man. So I, I I witnessed very deep homelessness in in my in my city, in, you know, where I was living at that, at that time and where I was. Is that Perth? And, yeah, Perth, Fremantle, Fremantle, uh, Western Australia, Perth. Yeah, correct. And and so. And and that was and that was so I, I could have chosen to do anything I wanted to. That was part of my university um, degree, one of my first degrees, and in behavioural science and social psychology, philosophy. And so I chose to work at a at men's homeless shelter, men's homeless shelter. And so that was an eye opener for me, man. Like that was. I mean, I, I just again, I wanted wanted to serve and wanted to to be present to. What what's actually going on in the world beyond you know beyond my comforts because we we live generally speaking for most of us in a very comfortable place and state and that was very true for me as well and so seeing that and being exposed to yeah some some horrific things man like horrific can so I was I was responsible for all the interviews as well so because resources were limited right so we could only allow x amount of men into the shelter. And so you'd have to interview each candidate and basically the candidate with the worst conditions would would be allowed in. And they, they knew that. So part of that was this, this psychological game of are they telling the truth, are they not? And, I mean, some of the, some of the stories, you just couldn't make this shit up. Like you just yeah. could not fucking make yeah. this shit up. Like it was – and it was – I remember with my supervisor who happened to be – this is nice – who happened to be actually she was the mother of uh, a girl I went to primary school with. So we were close anyway. Like I really looked up to her. She was a lovely lady. And I remember sitting there crying to her, man, so many times saying, what is going on in my backyard, like in where I live? Like this pain and suffering. I remember – I remember the um, child protection storming in one day and, and going to one of the back rooms and busting down the door and taking this guy in for uh, horrific stuff, you know, and 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 just like the the pain that was that was there. And so again, that gave me more context into the human condition. Now we we sort of learn that, that as humans for some reason, for many reasons, we learn in extremes. Like we have to experience extremes of the spectrum to really come into a more harmonious, balanced state of being. And so for me, experiencing these extremes eventually um, had led me to being more balanced within myself and understanding the world from a very different place than I was accustomed to. And so I just learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about the mind and, and about what we do and how we behave when we really when we're in suffering. And you know, in this extreme version of the human condition, and and what we're also capable of, though, Rob, that was really interesting to me. What we're actually capable of, the fight that we have, this urge to survive, and again, this is a, this is the primal neurological urge to survive, 
and how resourceful we can be, man. To, to live and not even only survive, but to even incorporate some comforts in our lives. You know, I could, I could go into great detail of nuances and, the, and the, the, the habits that some of these men cultivated to give themselves peace of mind on a daily basis. And, and I'm not even referring to drugs or alcohol. That, that was obviously one of them as well. But other things like even just posi- having particular photos in their rooms of their families that they've become estranged from. You know, like little things that, that made them feel connected, that human connection, man. And that, that drove me massively to really go deep into, okay, what does it mean to be immersed in human connection and the value of that to us? Okay, which is, I'm sure, how in 2006, you wound up going to uh, Notre Dame in Perth and... You know, you did some work in philosophy and you got your degree as well in behavioral science. What attracted you to both of those worlds simultaneously? Just the mind, like that, that, that so much of our, like I'd, I'd experienced so much joy in my life, but also so much suffering and so much pain. And a lot of it, a great deal of it came down to how I saw myself and how I saw the world and how I thought about those things how I thought about those experiences. So I thought to myself on the line of thinking, well, what if I could master the mind? What if I could understand the mind at such depth and access versions of self and expressions of self that would give me reprieve and give me access to greater a greater sense of power and empowerment and stability within myself when I was experiencing pain and volatility? Because I started figuring out that, well, this Pain and suffering is a part of life, just like joy and bliss is. But we prolong it. Like I, I used to prolong so much of it. Like I would, I would just sit in it, sit in the shit of it, like, and just stay there. And it didn't serve me. It didn't serve anyone. And so I'd always had this interest with the mind. I'd always had this interest of, like, where does consciousness or awareness come from? What is consciousness? What is awareness? Like, what is metacognition? What is cognition? Like, what does it mean to feel? Where do the feelings come from? Where, where do they stay? Where do they go? How can we transmute them? How do we turn them into something that's useful for us as opposed to not useful for us? And I started noticing that this, this exploration and these questions and the connection to these questions and the mastery of this faculty of area of my life actually spilled over into my friendships, into my relationships with my family, into my intimate romantic relationships, into my values and my purpose and what was important as I was formulating this from a younger age and what was important to me. So I, I started thinking, wow, like this, this mind thing is, is something to, to really get involved in. Let's, let's go deeper. Well, you did. In uh, 2010, you wound up getting your master's. Um, and this is where things kind of came together for me uh, in understanding how you evolved to where you are today. But you got your master's in environmental science and business management. So it looks like you sort of took the psych background and the philosophy background and you kind of put it all together. And I think you stepped into the world of renewable energy at that time too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and so so that was a that was a big business move for me as well. And just to build a greater arsenal, like a for myself, more you know, more tools in the tool belt to to give me greater access to what's possible in the world. So let's talk about how you took all of that, that knowledge, that education, etc., and you applied it into what you're doing now. So we'll kind of bounce around in some different areas, but can you kind of describe? What a relational alchemist is, um, and I'm I'm in a, in the middle of a brand and name change as well, by the way, which I'm very excited about. So I thought I'd mention that. So essentially, what relational alchemist symbolizes for me is the ability to transmute and take a relationship, whether it's to ourselves, whether it's to an idea, whether it's to a thing, whether it's to another person, our romantic, intimate relationships. Take it from a place that's unhealthy or undesirable that, or that's not working for us, that's not resonating or, or jiving for us, and help that person create a healthier connection and relationship to that na- the nature of that relationship, or the, the structure, the substructures of that relationship. Essentially, I help people help themselves. I, I help people know themselves. 
And and that's something that I've done for so long, Rob. I just couldn't I couldn't package it. And that's why I was sort of bouncing around from business idea to business idea or expression to expression, corporate, not corporate. Um, going into you know spiritual exodus to, to to going back into the corporate world or back into the world in, in some capacity, and finding my space and and finding my place in this space rather has really been liberating because I've, I've just I just owned my fucking truth. I just owned what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. I stepped into it. I stopped giving a fuck what other people thought, and I just played that game. Played the game of this is what I want to do. I've always actually really wanted to do this. And now I've found the expression and how that's presented to the world and for myself. Why is it so hard for people to step into their truth, mm. what they want to do? And why is it this struggle that we have to just be who we are? Why is it so freaking hard? It's a powerful question, man. So there's, we identify with the world. There's, there's a few ways. Three of them are, what we do, what we have in terms of what we accumulate and how others perceive us. So our sense of self and our sense of well-being is predicated on these on these three elements and there's a, there's a number of other elements as well, but these, these are three major elements. In other words, what do we do? You know, what's our title, our social status? And so we're driven by this perception of what's a, what's a, a respectable social status. Whether we like it or not, we're driven by this because we think it's going to gain us more of something. And so we put our values, our core values often to the side and we live to the values of someone else. And then what we have is we become preoccupied with material possession. Now, there's nothing wrong with material acquisition or the accumulation of any material wealth, but we become obsessed with it. Anything that we are obsessed with or that is extreme is unhealthy. It's an unhealthy imbalanced perspective and condition and action that we take. And then how we perceive us, how, sorry, how others, we perceive others to perceive us. So then we act how we think others want us to be. And so we're living a life of, we're lying. We're not living in our own truth. And so we are feeling the disconnection and the fracturing within ourselves. That was me for so long. I was playing to the tune and to the fiddle of, of, of someone else's instrument as opposed to actually living my truth. And so I was constantly upset. I was broke, like I was torn inside. I wasn't happy. And so many of us live that life because we don't live our own truth. We're not courageous enough because we're scared. How are others going to see us? It's like when you get up and, and you speak on public, in, in on a public stage or in front of hundreds or thousands of people, even 50 people, 10 people. Like if we, if we, our brain knows that if we say the wrong thing, the wrong, quote unquote, the wrong thing, we, that's why, that's why public speaking is one of the, the, the greatest fears that people have is because if we say the wrong thing, we may be ostracized and we're no longer in the in group. Then we're no longer protected and we're no longer safe. And the so ego, it's, prim it's primal. Absolutely. Massively. So the ego doesn't want to feel unsafe. So it will do what it needs to. Yet, there's still a fight within an internal fight because we're not being true to ourselves. Really interesting. You know, you talk a lot about the shadow self. I don't, I've heard that term before, but I really honestly don't know what it means. Can you describe what that is? So the, the shadow self is an archetype and it, it, the, it forms part of our unconscious self. And it's essentially composed of our repressed versions of self, like our repressed ideas, our instincts, our impulses, our perceived weaknesses, our undesirable desires, uh, our perversions, um, our fears, our pains, what we're embarrassed of, what we think others would think of us. You know, often described as the darker side of the psyche, um, you know, it, it can represent the pain and the fear that we've experienced in life, the unknown, the mystery in a more negative sense, the, the, the wildness or the chaos, the fracture that we experience within. It's not about light. It's about, it's about the darkness per se, you know, our addictions, um, what we don't want the world to see. And so we hide these aspects of ourselves. And the reality is we think we've moved them on or we've got rid of them, but we haven't. They just reside in the unconscious aspects of self. 
How do you, I mean, this is a giant question and it's probably not just a simple, easy answer, but how do you take the trauma that you know you had or maybe even identify the, or maybe even try and figure out the trauma that you're not quite sure you even had, you're not quite sure how to identify all of the trauma, let's say, and then clean it up? How do you do that? <laughs> you're there the you best go. question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You know, I know it's like the most simplistic question in the world, but like how, like, you know, how do you figure it out? And, and then when you do figure it out, how do you clean it up? Yeah, it's a, it's a journey, man. It's a journey and a process. And it begins with an acknowledgement. So it begins with seeing beyond the veil of our ignorance. And what that means is, is going beyond the superficial. Now, the superficial is not wrong or right. The superficial is part of, you know, the surface level stuff that we see and that we don't look deeper or beyond. It's an integral part of life. To life, there, there are many layers and depths to the human condition. There are layers and complexities to the, to the psyche and the emotional body and, and how we are actually driven or where does, where does our action ultimately stem from. And so there's this amazing, this amazing, I want to put this, this interplay, this intersection of, of how we receive sensory information, how we process that, and then what we do with it. And so it, there's so much of it is based on interpretation and belief systems that we've formulated as a, as a young person. So much of it is a, is a, is a cross-section between neuropsychobiology, our emotional selves, our ideas around spirituality, our, the quality of the relationships that we've experienced, the way we make choices, the way we arrive at a decision. There's so much at play, the unconscious and the conscious self, um, our culture of the time, our society, our values imprinted upon us from our family, from our culture, from our peers, from school, from other organizations. There's so much going on. And so to go back to your original question, is we have to acknowledge this and we have to acknowledge that there's more to us than the surface level. So we begin to explore. We begin to explore our actions and our repetitive behaviors in the world. We begin to look for patterns. And so the patterns are telling us something about who we are. And are those patterns driven consciously by who we are? Why are they driven unconsciously? Therefore, we have to do a bit of an exploration. Like the explorer is a classic archetype. And if you look back again, at humanity from an evolutionary perspective, we are where we are today because we've chosen to explore. Particularly men, like it was it, when we look at when we look at anthropology, we look at history, we look at men being these outward explorers in the world, taking massive physical risks to find new lands, to bring food, to find shelter, and so being an explorer is a natural part of our humanity. And so, if we can explore with vivaciousness just as we have the outside world, the inside world, our inner cycle, our, our psyche, our inner sanctum, our, our spirituality, our sense of self. We begin to unpack and unravel and, and make these connections of, wow, okay, so my behavior is actually driven by this idea that women are bad because I had this really negative experience with my mother when I was younger and I didn't realize how much it impacted me. I'm giving you a, a simple yet actual, actually complex yeah. example as well. And so when we begin to understand, because we, we're very cognitive, we're, we're very, we're very heady uh, humans, we're very intellectual, we're very much in our mind. So when we understand, it can help create reprieve and also context. So then we have this information, okay, what do we do with it now? Now we can actually choose to be different. We can choose to behave differently. And that's another process in and of itself. And there, there are a variety of tools that we can implement and use. But that's a starting point. And then we become empowered to choose differently instead of being driven by unconscious forces that are just now, now all of a sudden what we've done is we've taken this, this idea, this thought, these belief systems. Belief systems play a massive role. They underpin how our actions and our the quality of the experiences that we have. And they we turn them into Play-Doh. And now we mold it. We mold it ourselves. You know, Play-Doh is like an 80s, you know what Play-Doh is. It's in the, yeah. The, the, yeah. I have a four-year-old. Are you kidding? Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> yeah, I love that Plato's still popular. Um, and so, you know, then we can mold. We can mold our, our lives the way we want, but we can only do that when we make the unconscious conscious. So it begins with a journey of exploration. And I think I'll start and end there because the tools that we can use are, are many, and, and, and I mean many, many, many different tools. And so that, that, that willingness to be aware 
and then stepping into a, a journey of awareness, that's the power. That's the, fa- that's the, ba- the power base right there. All right. So you do a lot of work with men uh, through a lot of your uh, programs that you do, um, like, uh, you know, Reclaim Your Kingdom or Conscious Warrior. What are the key lessons that men come away with after taking these programs? What, what, how are they different? They have access to so much more clean, and I'll define what I mean by clean, clean, authentic power than ever before. And so they figure out that they needn't actually be hyper-aggressive. They needn't be constantly agitated. They needn't be not living on purpose. They needn't be oppressive in their behavior. They needn't be someone that takes out all their shit, all their repressed anger and pain and fear onto their spouse or onto the people that they love, or even worse, onto themselves. And so they feel liberated. One word would be freedom or liberation is what they feel. And they feel this because they see and they experience and directly there's an outlet for being different. They needn't be this repressed, detached, angry or sad or withdrawn man. They have an outlet to express themselves. It's safe for them. They feel safe. It's safe for them to express, to actually say, you know what, I'm fucking sad or I'm angry or I haven't gotten over this that happened 15, 20, 30 years ago. Or I feel like shit in my life or I'm not on purpose or I'm not happy in my job. I've been here for 20 years and I hate my job. I hate waking up every morning. I've never been able to express this because society has taught us that it's not safe, it's not manly, and you're weak if you're expressing your feelings. It's like we don't have a fucking limbic system. Like, no, we do. We're human. Yes, we're male, but yes, we do have a limbic system. Yes, we do feel, and we repress those feelings. So our whole our whole physiology is just war because we don't allow ourselves a healthy expression. In the wild, Rob, when an animal experiences trauma, okay, and yes, we are more complex as human beings, but fundamentally as well, we're also animals. And so when an animal experiences trauma and survives that trauma, it does something that I call it a neurological shake. And it's something that it's a tool and technique that I use in 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 helping heal and reprieve, uh, create reprieve and heal trauma and re- re- create reprieve in a, in a human being. But essentially, that 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 animal goes somewhere where it's safe, shakes out all of that trauma at a cellular level, at a neurological level, stands up, gets up, goes about its day as if nothing's happened. We don't do that. We repress that shit. Now the unconscious self resides in the body. So at a cellular level, we're repressing these traumatic memories. And these are the memories, these are the experiences that drive our behavior, that keep us safe, that move us towards safety or away from danger. And so we'll behave egoically, we'll behave, our personalities will behave in a way that keeps us safe. So we don't experience that emotional experience again. We don't experience that um, being told we're not good enough again. So the, the, the personality, the psyche will do whatever, the ego will do whatever it needs to do. So an example would be we become defensive. We don't give people a chance to put us down or tell us that we've done something wrong. And so we become unapproachable. We become angry. People are too scared to talk to us about that. And then what we do is we, we, we sever our connection to other human beings. And Wanting to experience love, to be seen, to be heard, to be felt, to be known, it's a basic human drive for all of us. It, 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 again, driven biologically, psychologically, emotionally, relationally. So it sounds like a lot of this has to do with patterns once we identify them that we're running. How do we sort of get ourselves, once we figure it out, we know that it's a pattern and we know that we want to get rid of it, how do we interrupt those patterns and get ourselves into more useful ones? Hmm. Well, accountability is a, I mean, ultimately you live with yourself and you're with yourself 24-7. But having an accountability partner or a support system, whether it be a peer group, whether it be a professional helper, you know, a counsellor, a therapist, a coach, 
you know, mindset coach, a life coach, um, you know, an emotional coach, you know, whatever, whatever labels you want to put around that. So having accountability around that and really strong support. So, you know, voicing, voicing the changes that you're making and asking people that you're close with, that you love and you care for, that you respect and you revere and you trust and that's reciprocated to help keep you accountable, to help you notice, hey, you're not behaving in the way you promised you would. And then come, keep coming back to that. You know, the, the, the simple act of journaling as well. And so th- th- this is almost a form of metacognition too. So there's, there's a tremendous brain integration that takes place, vertical and, and, and horizontal, left and right hemispherical brain integration that takes place. When we journal, when we, when we reflect on our thoughts, you know, philosophers for thousands of years have said one of the greatest one of the greatest acts you can you can take on a daily basis is to reflect on who you've been that day, how you've behaved, how you've moved through the world, how have you interpreted the experiences that you've had, how have you felt about yourself, could you have done something different, better, worse, etc. Like what 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 has your day consisted of? And so this critical reflection piece gives us context and perspective and allows us to look at life and our pains perhaps and our fears and, and how we've behaved from a non-judgmental place, from a more compassionate place and from a new perspective that gives us greater insight into that set of circumstances that can lead us to greater freedom within. I tell you what's interesting to me. What's interesting is there's a lot of people who have lots of courses and you see them, you know, on, you know, the internet or whatever, but you rarely get a chance to kind of see them up close. And I had the privilege of spending some time with uh, you and your beloved Mm. and you guys are the real deal. I mean, you truly are the most and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, the most heart-centered, thoughtful, kind, fun-loving, real people. And what I love about that is all of your teaching, I know when somebody embraces this teaching, will have a life, hopefully, that is as beautiful as you and your lady do. So how would you say that you are different today in relationship because of the work that you've done. And maybe, you know, maybe you can give us, you know, some examples. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. That's a, thank you for your beautiful kind words as well. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm in integrity. I'm honest. I'm, I'm clear. I'm certain about what I want and what, and who I am. In previous relationships, I wasn't. I wasn't certainty. I lacked the capacity to, to make decisions in a clean way with, with clarity and understanding of self. I was unfaithful in previous relationships. Uh, I, you know, I cheated so much in previous relationships. I disrespected myself and I disrespected uh, my partners in previous relationships. I wasn't present. I wasn't aware of myself and what I really wanted. I, I lashed out and I was angry so often. I blamed and shamed externally. So when I was experiencing a problem, I blamed my partner, I blamed the world, I blamed others. And these were, these were traits and habits that I picked up from my upbringing, from my environment that I brought into my life that I, in my adult relationships that I was unaware of until I looked at all of that deeply and said, this is not the life that I want. This is not the person I want to be, nor is this the person I know I can be. Like, I know what I was capable of. I knew it. And so when I began to practice what I was preaching, because I wasn't, I was, wasn't practicing it, really embodied it and went through a very painful new birthing process. Like I, I shed multiple layers of self, had multiple you know, spiritual and egoic deaths mm. and began to really embrace what I knew was true and behaved in a way that was that took self ownership and responsibility and ownership ownership and responsibility are one of the key principles in in my conscious warrior model that I teach men because for me it was a foundation of of able to make systemic visceral change in my life and so how I am today in my relationship I mean, the best person to ask is is my beloved Christine but from my perspective I'm clear. I've never been more certain and stable and grounded in my life. I'm vertical and confident in the decisions I make. 
I, well, that is uh, <laughs> that is clear being around you guys. I mean, you guys are electric, freaking incredible. All right. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to move into the second half of the show, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more in fulfillment. So yeah. let's talk about some things that you do to improve areas that are sort of outside of the work that you do, if we can say that. Mm-hmm. What's a typical Saturday morning look like for you? Yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, Rob, I love what you do, and I love your ethos. And I'm leading oh, thanks, into something. Yeah, I mean, I love it. It's, it's so, much, and I think it's just such a needed thing in the world, right? Like, especially for who you work with. I think that in the years to come, the value that you're going to add to people's life is going to be fucking tremendous. And so, oh, that's a, that's a segue to into this. Is that you know. For me, I'm so passionate and and inspired by the life that I live. Like I don't see what I do as work. I see it as service. And mm. and I see it as just living life. Like I just love it. However, in saying that, I also know the value of balance. And that's because I was a segue is speaking to what you do, of course, in your service in the world and your ethos. And so a Saturday morning for me is 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 no not too much different to any other day. There are some differences, but I begin my day with a personal practice. Sometimes the personal practice is a few minutes, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's longer. And so that, that personal practice is silent time for me in stillness. That's a big part of it. That's generally 99.9% of the time is is always going to be an an aspect of stillness and 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 and, and solitude, silence, deep inner reflection. And I go into my Saturday, I move the body. Again, I move every day. Okay, that doesn't change too much. I physically move the body. And it's very it's just more casual for Christine and I. Like that Saturday morning is just a really beautiful time. Yeah, we connect every day, of course, multiple times a day. We just connect differently this this day. Like she you know, Christine's got some solid boundaries around what she chooses to focus on is for her Saturday and Sunday, not to say that we don't work on Saturdays and Sundays. Sometimes we do because that's just what's required and that's what's necessary and they're the choices that we've made. However, Saturday is a day for exploration and play and fun. And it's a day to explore, really explore and just have fun. We'll go train, we we move the body, we get some nourishing food, we go somewhere different, like really feed the senses. Like what can we do that's new today that we haven't done before? And we can go to a coffee shop or an eatery or somewhere where we haven't been before. We were blessed to do that. You know that and a and practice of gratitude is a massive, massive practice for Saturday. And just just get stuff done, like stuff done in terms of create, like be creative. Maybe it's it's doing something around the house. Maybe it's going somewhere new. Maybe it's going for for a beautiful trail hike, being out in nature. It's just spending intimate time together. Maybe it's seeing some friends. So Christine will go see some friends. I'll go, I'll go spend time with some friends. I'll spend some time on my own. Reading is part of that. It's just really being creative and open. It's just like a free day. There's no massive structure. The structure is loose. It can, it can, one moment it can be this and literally the next moment we're doing something different. And so there's a great deal of variety in allowing that, allowing the spontaneity of that to occur. That's both our Saturdays and our Sundays. And so that's a really beautiful, beautiful thing to do. And at the same time, if it means we have to work 10 hours that day, then that's what we do. And we, we do our best to do everything that we do and everything that I do with a smile on my face. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes I'm frustrated and I'm fucking hating on life, but... I also know that it's temporary and I also know there's something to gain and learn from that. And allowing myself to feel that is has been a, a gift for me because I repressed so much for so long. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now <laughs> you've uh, now you've unleashed the Kraken. If yeah. <laughs> you could if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? <sighs> this I love this question. So for me it would be I, I, I haven't been to the Himalayas yet. No, I mean, I've traveled to, I've been to over 60 countries and Nepal and Tibet is not one of them. Have I, I'd spend, I'd spend some time in the Himalayas. That, that would be, and why is because I've been obsessed with mountains and ocean and nature for, since I was a, a child. It was a, it was a great escape for me, but importantly, it was, it was, it was great teaching in, in that and being connected to earth. And I, I want to climb Everest. It's a very masculine thing, but I want to climb Everest. I want to be in the Yeah, lab. it sure is. If yeah. you could go to only one restaurant before you die, 
and I've had dinner with you. You can eat. <laughs> Where would your last meal be? So I'm going to, this is a cool question, right? So I'm going <laughs> to, so for, for, for the people that are listening, um, Steph and I were in uh, Greece and, uh, you know, he speaks Greek. So I don't know what's going on behind me because he's speaking Greek and it's all Greek to me. And next thing I know, there's like, you know, large animals, like, you know, cows that are being, you know, sliced up for dinner and like, it's just kept Coming, Greece buckled my my veg my vegetarian streak. You know that, don't you? <laughs> this year, Greece buckled that vegetarian streak that I had. Anyway, <laughs> where would I go? This is a cool question. So, I would go so many places. Uh, I would go to there was this restaurant. Actually, it's closed down now. But if 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 we're talking hypotheticals, I can hypothetically say it's still around. It was my. One of my closest friends, I was best man at his wedding. He's a brother to me. His wife's parents' restaurant. And they did the most fucking amazing food, Rob. Honestly, if they were still around, and they'll open, they have opened another another restaurant, but it's different. It's called Encontro. And so if if they were around, and you, because I know, I know you like to eat as well, that yep. you came to Perth, we would be going. It was a, okay. a high end restaurant. It was, it was so, but we knew the chef, obviously, it was a family thing, but it was, it was it wasn't quite Michelin star in, in in any way, but it was amazing local fresh food. Just the flavors were just phenomenal. I couldn't tell you how many times we ate there, hundreds of times over the years. All right, I'm in. <laughs> when you find yourself uninspired, mm. um, which it happens to all of us, mm. what sort of things do you do to find your way back? Yeah, so I'll listen to inspiring stories. You know, whether it be on YouTube or an audio book, um, you know, a really uplifting content to remind me of how grateful I am and, and how amazing my life is. And honestly, Rob, I just go and move my body. Whether that means I need to take my, I need to put a weight vest on or a, a 20, 30 kilo belt or, or, or working pound, sorry, 30, 40, 50 pound backpack on and go for a two hour, three hour hike, then that's what I'll do. I move the body. I'm going to swing kettlebells, then I'll swing kettlebells. Perfect. All right. Let's move into the rapid fire round and answer as quickly or as slowly as you like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind round. Mm. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? My open heartedness. I would agree with that. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Not living up to my potential. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. I sleep really well. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Where I'd like to be in 150 years' time. <laughs> What's the one thing that you want to get better at if you had to pick one thing? And it could be anything. It could be Spanish, you know, mm. Italian, whatever. Believing in my capacity at greater levels. Mm. What book have you reread the most? Mm. There's two. One is Walking with the Himalayan Masters and Living with the Himalayan Masters. They're almost like two two books in one. Or yeah. And the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. Yeah, that one comes up a lot. What is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> Raw organic cream. <laughs> Raw organic cream. Cream. Well, that is the first time I heard that on the show. And peanut butter. <laughs> What's one thing you own and you really should throw away, but you're never going to do it? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I got an old t shirt. It seriously needs to go. Like, it's, I don't know why the fuck I'm hanging on to it. Like, it's just this plain black shit t-shirt <laughs> just fits good and I just like the way it fits and it just really needs to go as if, I'm, as if I can never find one like it. <laughs> that's so funny. If you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, so nothing that we talked about today or nothing that you speak about and it could really be on anything that you like or anything that you have a passion for or anything else at all, what would that be? Interdimensional travel. 
Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that's going to be another episode. Okay. Yeah. Really cool. Okay. Last question. This is, uh, we're going to change things up a little bit. What one question do you want to ask me? Hmm. I want to ask you, how full is your heart right now? How are your heart? That's such a great question. If you would have asked me that question before Greece, I would say it's about 20%. Mm. Um, but since that time, through some questions like this, and by the way, this is the reason you want people like Steph in your life and your tribe is so important because I ask questions like this. To answer the question now, I would say probably... 50 to 75%. And I'm not proud of that, but it's an honest answer. Mm. I tend to focus more on entrepreneurship, business, success, and um, mm. fights listening to what my heart is feeling. And I fight stepping into heart-filled activities. Not terribly, not like not horribly, but I need a lot of work in this area in stepping into it because I've made some weird beliefs that I can't be busy busy focusing on things that light my heart up because I got all this work over here I need to do. Mm. And I know that that's the wrong way of thinking, but that's that's my honest answer. I love that. I love that. So listen, I cannot thank you enough. I am beyond excited and passionate that soon... We will be moving to California so we can be close and we can hang out. Yeah, me too. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Yeah, I would I would just I would request that and this this is a a selfish, selfless request. Yeah. And that's a that's a part of my teachings as well, is that selfish selflessness. But I ask that every single person just Go within, go inside you multiple times every day and recognize the gifts and the wonder that you give the world. And the more we recognize those gifts, the more we recognize the wonder of who we actually are, we stop beating ourselves down, the more we're able to act in accordance with that truth and the more the world gets the most genuine version of ourselves. And that's how we grow as a collective. That's how we flourish. Dude, I am going to leave it right there. That was beautiful. I cannot thank you enough, Steph. I am so freaking excited for everything that's going to be coming up in your life and our lives together. And I am just so grateful to call you a friend. Likewise, brother. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.